I'm going to start off today talking a little bit about graduation. Graduation, as Matt called it. Um, you know, graduation is such, such a uh, culmination of experiences in time in our life. It's such, a, it's such a watershed event, they would say, you know. Something is definitely happening today with graduation. And um, this idea, it's, it's funny because t- this afternoon we're going to go to something called commencement, right, where you sit in a really hot, sticky auditorium for way too long while too many names are read. And too many people try to cheer louder than everyone else, and it's embarrassing. <laughs> you know? but, but something happens. And you know what's funny is the word commencement. You see, we, so many times, maybe when you're in school, you see, I'm finally there. I finally arrived. But what does commence mean? To begin. Yeah. So first of all, for graduates, guess what? <laughs> I went to a commencement yesterday where they said, uh, the future starts now. <laughs> I thought that's pretty bold. <laughs> you know, it's the beginning. It's not the end. And as much in our lives, one thing has to stop or die or come to a stop. It's a whole new page, a whole new chapter. This is commencement. And one of the things that's a little scary, I think, to parents and to pastors and youth pastors and everyone is that whenever uh, our high school kids see college kids kind of coming home, right? That's what we're talking about. But the, the high school kids are leaving and there's this fear, oh gosh, what's going to happen? And you know, we do things like baccalaureate services where we, we honor God because of what he's brought us through. But I want to say up front here, one thing that is going to be the, the key of this message today that God has brought to us, and it is this, Jesus Christ is the foundation for everything you do. Everything you do. Don't apologize for that. You know, I, I feel like sometimes God's a prop in our public venue Got something we stack up. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you are not, we sang that song earlier, empty arms, or, you know, hearts burn for you and arms reach for you. If that is not your prayer closet life, you are deceiving yourself and missing the living God. Missing the living God. Now, I'm not saying you're going to see, you know, visions and angels come down. And, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see that stuff. I mean, but there's something to being in a true, right relationship with Jesus Christ that goes with you. You can't leave Jesus back here in Highland when you go away to college. It's not possible. Wherever you are, and that's what we talk about Nehemiah, wherever you are, down in the dumps, in that rotten place, the Savior who came to die is right with you. It's the beginning of new things, commencement. So I just wanted to share that with graduates, because if you hear nothing else, that is the truth. Christ goes with you. Parents, let's not be afraid of the world, because Christ goes with them. Let's trust him with that which is most precious to us. We're going to read from Nehemiah today, but I want to start with prayer, like Nehemiah did. So pray with me if you are so inclined. Father God, we thank you that we have been gathered here by your mighty hand, by your will. No matter why we've come this morning, no matter what dragged us out of bed, Lord, we pray that today, by your grace, we would hear a word from you. That by your Son and our Savior, we might know a true relationship with you. You're an awesome God. We give you this time, and a time after it, and a time after it. We pray, Lord, that, that you would draw us into such a passionate relationship with you that we couldn't do anything else first, but only love you and respond to your love in our life. Be glorified. We pray your Holy Spirit would be here today in a very real way that we would know, know through his wisdom what you're trying to do in our lives. 
We thank you for the example of Nehemiah. We pray today that you would open our hearts to the word, open our minds to the truth, and transform our lives, God. And when that happens, you come out and you are glorified. And we thank you for that. And may you receive glory, honor forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to get you up to speed on Nehemiah. We're going to pop this one, pop up the, look, look at the bricks there. That's good. Um, we were talking about Nehemiah, and we've been talking about what Nehemiah went through. We're only in the second chapter right now, and we kind of rolled through a lot of stuff to get where we are. You know, we've gone quite a way with Nehemiah already. But I just want to remind you real quickly what happens in chapter 1. You see, Nehemiah, and this is his response. He asks a question. He hears about the state of Jerusalem, and his response is this. He prays. He, Nehemiah's been praying, and he's been planning, because we said last week we went before the king. He had a plan already. So he's been praying, he's been planning, and he's been waiting on God. And now he's been inspecting. And we re read that last week at the very end. And uh, I, find that, I found that fascinating how Nehemiah hadn't, the last thing he said is, I had not yet. If you want to turn your Bibles, it's chapter 2. Uh, I think it's page 337 in the books, if you're using a Bible that is here on the tables for you, chairs. But he is, uh, the last thing he says is, I, I hadn't even begun to tell them what was going on, those who were going to do the work. And you think, that's kind of crazy, Nehemiah. You know, share the, share the vision or share the love. That's about to happen today. That's what's going to happen today. And so um, I just want to get that. And let's go back and read that real quick together. Let's go ahead and back up before 17 there. And we're going to read, um, we'll just read from the very, just from 15, it's mid-sentence, or 16. Let's start there. The official did not know where I had gone. That's when he went around to inspect the gate. You see, he's come from the king of Persia. He's been allowed by the king to come. He's been praying that God would give him success. And then he says, they did not know where I had gone or what I had been doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who were going to be doing the work, which seems fantastically unfair to me. You know, he hasn't said anything yet. And that's where we are today. So let's read. And we're just going to read this right quick, and then we're going to come back and talk through it a little bit because there's so much stuff in this little spot right here. And I think it becomes the key of everything about the book of Nehemiah. There's something that happens right here in this little passage. So let's read it together, uh, starting in verse 17. Then I said to them, you, are, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give, me, give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem, nor any claim or historic right to it. This, this little piece of scripture is so instructive into our lives. And so I just want to read together through this, and I want to talk about some of the stuff that we miss every day in our life, every day in our life that we see revealed here. And, and the first thing, you know, we talk about one of the things that um, I was having a conversation with one of the leaders of the team about, and he's talking about our Sunday morning time together, is how how you can study your Bible yourself. How can you do that? And I want to say that one of the things, and I don't do a good job of this until I'm reminded I need to. One of the things you need to do 
is slow down and take some time. And so we're going to try that a little bit this morning. We have very, just three verses today. And it says this in uh, verse 17, Then I said to them, and the first question that I have right away is, well, who is, who's them? Who's them? But you can go back in 16. See who Nehemiah is talking to when he starts to talk. See who he's talking to. And, it's, and it's, he's, been ta- he's talking to, well, let's go back and look at it, 16. The Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and others who are doing the work. So this is how Nehemiah starts the conversation. He comes back, and it seems as though it's the same night he's doing the inspection. And he looks at them, and he says, he says I said to them, and then is what he says. And th- okay, here we go. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Now, see, isn't that interesting? You see the trouble we are in. He makes an assumption. The, the Hebrew here, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I, I want to learn Hebrew. But the Hebrew word here is raha, raa, and it means to perceive, to see. There's something about they already know, they already see, they have. And this is only bewildering because they haven't done anything about it. And Nehemiah says to them, you see the trouble we are in. This is the first thing he says to these folks after he gets back from the secret inspection of the wall. They don't know where he's been. His first words to them is, you see the trouble we are in. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of all the good intentioned conversations we have where we're sitting around a table with very wise people who are living very much in the same situation and no one's willing to talk about the truth. Have you had that conversation? We actually have an idiom for it. We found idioms a few months ago. The idiom is called what? The elephant in the room. Have you heard that? It's the elephant in the room. And that's what Nehemiah says. And what's so amazing about this is this is how he starts the conversation. By acknowledging the truth of the situation. You see, any other interaction there is false. And we are called as disciples of Jesus to be tellers of truth. To be a truth teller. Confront the difficult facts. Be the one, and this is what I wrote in here, honest, intentional person in the room. Do you know how many people it takes to change that, that meeting, that table setting, that conversation? This happens all over the place. It happens, the thing that comes to mind all of me is like leadership meetings at the church. It happens, where else does it happen? Around the dining room table at your house, right? Where else does it happen? Happens, happens at those Thanksgiving gatherings, doesn't it, sometimes? You get together with all these people that make you really uncomfortable because they're your family, <laughs> And everyone in the room knows they see the problem, but no one is courageous enough to talk about it. To talk about it. What a tragedy. And you know, it's easy to blame others. It's easy to say, oh, well, they are, they know. That's their, they should bring that. But here's the trouble. See, you know it. You know it. And you won't say anything about it. It's the elephant in the room. Let's read on in 17. Let's see what he says. Let's see what profound insights Nehemiah has about the state of Jerusalem, the holy city of God. Let's see what he says. He says, Jerusalem, this is what he says you see already. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. 
That's the problem. This guy's a genius, right? He says, you already see the problem. The walls are down. The gates are burned. Let's rebuild them and not be a disgrace, right? And you go, wow, Nehemiah's a visionary. Nehemiah, you know what this book's called? He's a prophet. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. I want you to go back with me to verse 3. Verse 3 in chapter 1. It's on the same page. Maybe it's one page over for you who are using our Bibles on the chairs there. When his brothers came to him in Persia, listen to what they said. He said, how are things in Jerusalem? And this is what they said. Those who survived in exile are back in the providence, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall is down and the gates have been burned with fire. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? These guys rolled out from Jerusalem over to the Persian king to tell, to tell Nehemiah when he asks the situation they were in. They already knew. So what is going on with Nehemiah? Why is he a prophet? He's a prophet because he has the courage to be honest, to be the one honest person. He is not afraid. He's been praying for the opportunity that others have been walking right by. Isn't that the dumbest thing? They're living in it, and they're ignoring it. This is the story of Nehemiah. This is how he comes. And this is what he says, come. Look at what he says to these guys. He says, Jerusalem lies in ruins, and this gate's been burned fire. I mean, this is something he's been told way back in Persia. And this is what he says, come, let us rebuild the wall. This is his response. You see, Nehemiah identifies with the people. Somehow, when he shows up there, after a whole three days, he's the visionary, but he's the one saying, let's go do something about it. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how you'd feel if you were one of the exiles that stayed in Jerusalem. I don't know how you'd feel if you were one of the first ones back to try to rebuild the temple before this guy shows up. But whenever he says to you, come on, let's, let us let us go do this work. He's including himself in the story. I would say to you, back in chapter one, we talked about how Nehemiah prayed an intercessory prayer. It's a type of prayer he prayed, God help those folks. God bring holiness back to Jerusalem. God do something about it because God had given them this burden. <coughs> Excuse me. And he has this passion for Jerusalem that probably people can't understand who are around him. And then he waits on God to give him opportunity. But when he gets there, it's no longer them. It's no longer God help those people. It's God, let us do this work. God, let us begin together. I would say to you that Nehemiah's behavior is the result of intercessory prayer. Because if, you're, if your intercessory prayer life looks like this, Oh, God, do something about the homeless, but doesn't drag your rear end down there to do something about the homeless. I'm not sure you're praying intercessory prayer. There's an old saying that says, let your prayer have feet. Nehemiah and his life is a natural outpouring of the passion of the heartbreak he has for Jerusalem. Oh, Lord, we talked about last week. 
you should send someone to help those people. And when Nehemiah gets there, it's us. Which is actually the way Nehemiah confessed it to the Lord, didn't he? Oh, Lord, we have sinned. Oh, Lord. You see, he's bearing the burden with them. Nehemiah also, by saying, let us begin, knows that he can't do the work alone. <laughs> and we are the world's worst at that. I got this. Yeah, I know you want to help, but you're going to mess things up. The, the Lord's given me, I, I know how much wood I need for this project. I've, I've got the guy. See the trailer full of wood come in with the horses? That, this is covered, brother. You guys just sit back and relax. I don't want you to do anything at all. You all just sit and be comfortable. And me and all these guys I brought with me, we're going to go over here and we're going to fix the wall and it's all going to be good. Absolutely not. Nehemiah is not so deceived. It's the work of the people. And Nehemiah knows it. And so Nehemiah says, let us begin the work. Now, I was really excited about something here. I was really excited about the idea of beginning. Because if you look in the NIV text, I want you to look with me in the NIV text. It says, let us begin, come let us build the wall of Jerusalem and we're going to be in disgrace. And I told him about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they said, let us start rebuilding. And so this idea is the beginning, like the commencement. It's the beginning, right? Um, but the, the word here that we translate begin is actually two words. And it's this idea of, of um, putting our hands to it. It's actually this idea of growing strong. Let's go back to verse 18 right quick. Let's read this together. After he tells them, Let, here's the plan, guys. We're going to rebuild this wall together. And we'll no longer be in disgrace. We've got to stop there, too. There's just so much stuff, so much stuff in here. This idea, someone said it to me this morning. I was talking to someone right before worship, and they were talking about this, these things we get into. The words in Hebrew that say, let us no longer be in disgrace with this, low, loud, something like that. It's actually L-O-W-D. I don't know how you pronounce that. Loud, maybe? Okay. Um, uh, Kerpa. And here's what, it, here's what it means. Not, not again the scorn, contempt, and shame. Not, not again. No, let's no. And you know one of, the, one of the other words we could use there is repeat. Nehemiah says, when we say let us no longer be in disgrace, Nehemiah is talking about a cycle, a repetition we keep doing the same things over and over Jerusalem. And he says, why are you doing this? You're the holy city of God. Let us build a wall so we'll not continue the cycle of this function. Do you see what's happening there? And their response. I don't know. He's got a point. We've been laying here for a long time with the walls down. He sees that this is the pattern of repeated behavior. And I want, to ask, I want to ask you to ask an important question about this whole book in Nehemiah, because it's the weirdest thing. We're going to say a whole book almost about the restoration of a wall. What's the wall? What's the wall got to do with Jerusalem being holy? There's something going on with this wall. And I want you to chew on that a little bit. What that's about. But he says, look, get out of this cycle. And so he tells them about, this is what he does. This new guy, he, he casts the vision. He says, let's do this. The walls are down, guys. We're dying here. He's the guy who's being honest in the room. And he says, let us go and do something about it. 
And then he tells them a story. And we talked about this in a small group this morning. It was beautiful. He talks about, he says, I told them about how the gracious hand of my God was upon me and what the king had said to me. He tells them how God has already been moving in our life. And that's exactly what we were talking about this morning and how you, t- how you share the gospel with others. It's just you tell the story about what God has been doing because it's amazing to you what God has been doing. And this is a natural outflowing when Jesus Christ comes into your life. And he just tells them the story about how God has already been moving in his, in his life. And the word gracious hand, it's kind of the same thing talking about Jesus with his hand. It's this idea of power, of strength. The word is yod. Again, Y-A-W-D, yod. This hand of God. We sometimes think this hand of God thing is, is, is like um, God picking us up and, and moving us around. But what if that hand of God is just like a, a straightening when we're all hunched over? What if, what if life has just gotten to be such a drag? What, what if when, when Nehemiah was broken, he was just crushed and he was broken down? And God reached in and just said, Stand up. The strength of God. And this is the testimony of Nehemiah. He just shares it. And by the way, the strength of who? You know what the word? Who, who is God here? Does anyone know? Elohim. Elohim is the God here, not Yahweh. And you go, oh, it's a different God. No, it's Elohim. Elohim is an extension of the word El, which El was any God. You know, and you're, you're, you're in a culture right now, you're living in a culture right now where there's so many gods around us we can't even see straight. El, 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 El. And Nehemiah says, the strength, the yod of Elohim was on me. Elohim, it's the big God. This is what I like to say it. It's the big G, God. We got a lot of little G gods in our life. Nehemiah is sharing a story about the strength of the big G, God. And that's when we say, how great is our God? And you go, oh, how can we say that? Because it's the big G, God. And the big G, God is great. Interestingly enough, Elohim is used in a plural sense here. And I just throw it out there because I thought that was really fantastic. The big G, the big G God is working among us. And this is what he says. And so this is his big vision. And this is his big passion speech. This is his big thing. Let's go do it. And he tells him how God's been upon him. And he mentions how the king, what does it say in our text? Look at it again. What the king had said to me. So it's just the words of the king. The king said, yeah, you can go. It seems kind of cheap what the king does, you know. (laughs) But this is what he does. And they reply. And again, it's the same they. And the word reply here becomes important because it's amar. And so they replied, they uttered, they said. The same thing that he uttered, he amarred to them. They amarred back to him. And they amarred and they said, let us start rebuilding. This is what I was talking about a minute ago. And I want to spend a little time here because... He's, they, they responded in the same way. Now, I, I would think, like I said earlier, I would think that if that guy came into my town where I've been hanging out for lots of years and he was going to tell me how to do my business, I would say, I'll think about it. I don't know about this guy. Who does he think he is? But something happens when they respond that they're just like, let's go. 
Let's do it. Yes. Maybe it's because it's that one honest guy in the room. The one guy who says, you already see the problem. Let's fix it. And they go, yes, let's fix it. Let's change things, Nehemiah. But let us start rebuilding. I was so excited about the word start. Because if you look, I want you to look through all that, all the way down to verse 20. And it says, let us start rebuilding. So they began a good work. Then Nehemiah, the, the guys are mocking and stuff. And then he says, I asked them, the God will give us success. His servants will start, right? And so Matt and I was quite excited. I was, like, I was so excited about the idea of starting. They're just starting. And God doesn't promise what's going to happen after that. They're just going to start the wall. They're just going to start building. They're going to start today. But guess what's even more amazing? The word that the NIV translated the start is actually two words. And the, the two words is chazak, yod, yod again, right? It's the same word when he says the yod of God was on me. He says, but then what's the chazak? What is that word? Chazak, yod. I don't know. Oh, yeah. You know what it means? It means get up. See, they didn't just say, yes, let us begin the work. No, they were like this. They're all broken down. They're all, they're pretty comfortable where they are in their life. And when Nehemiah comes in and says, the holy God has his hand upon me, this is their response. Let us get up and start the work. Wow. They're like, get off your butt and do something. This is their response to the living God. Let us rise up. Let us stand. Maybe they were broken down like Nehemiah was, and the, the yawd of God comes in. But they stand up. They hear the word, and they respond. This is the way they respond to the big G God. And this is what they say. Yes, let us stand up, let us rise up, and let us be strengthened, and let us establish the wall. See, they were commencing something. A rebuilding was still commencing. And then the next verse, look at it. The next verse says this, so they began this good work. Guess what? The word began there again. So they stood up, and they were strengthened. And I want to hear you two things here. They were growing strong in their strength. How do you begin an exercise routine? You start. And what do you start with? Well, if you're a guy like me, you start with the 50-pound dumbbells. <laughs> and you walk over there, and you grab them, and you're like, and then you got to look around. you got to at least get it. You can't even pick it up once. <laughs> no. You go over, and you get those pink ones. <laughs> you know? And you start going, it's okay. Because from that moment, they were starting. And they were going somewhere. And they don't have big biceps yet, but they're going to. And I'll tell you what else that word there means. It means they hardened their hands with the work. They started to get calloused. They put their hands to it. It was too important to, let, to be left undone. And this is their response to Nehemiah. They arise and they rebuild. So they can be, they can be strengthened. And I want to, you know, so many, so many folks, and I, we talk about this stuff, this, this responding to the living God. You know, God, God asks, I'm not sure God asks for anything. When God comes into our lives, I always tell the story about whenever I met Christ, 
Here's my story. I was so far from God, it wasn't even funny. I was an atheist for, for 17 years. I was so far from God, it wasn't even funny. And whenever I turn, I mean, I say I turn, you know, the word is repent. When you repent, I always, you know, when you turn around, it's like I went like, I went like, I went like this much, and God was like right there, like this, like all over me, the living God. Because I wasn't miles and miles from God. He was right there with me. And when you turn around, wherever you are today, you turn around to the living God, he's right there with you. And this is the work of the big G, God. Let's see what happens right away. And this is such a telling story. Let's read on. This is Sanballat. Sanballat the Horonite. And Tobiah the Ammonite. We're going to talk more about these guys later on in the future. But uh, and Geshem the Arab. When they heard about this, when they heard about what? When they heard about the beginning of the work, when they heard that the people in Jerusalem, the Jews, the officials, the priests, the elders, the workers had stood up and had started to do the work, the first thing they do is they mocked and ridiculed. Well, what's the difference? This sounds like they've been in that same boat all along. But you know what? If you've been on the ground for a long time and you finally dare to pick yourself up, it takes somebody about that much effort to pick you back down, doesn't it? If you're laying there and your life is broken down and you go, okay, Lord, I'm going to get up, but as long as there's no opposition, as long as nobody comes and makes fun of me for picking up the pink dumbbells because I can't deal with that, i got a fragile ego here, it takes about this much. Some guy going, <laughs> I'm never going to the gym again. That's what it takes. But not with Nehemiah. Because when they start to ridicule and they start to mock him and them, look at it, they mocked us, Nehemiah says. He writes this in the first person. But when they heard it, they mocked us and they ridiculed us. And they said, what is this you're doing? And they make a threat here. Are you rebelling against the king? And they don't mean the big G, God. They mean the king of Persia, the king of trans-Euphrates. Are you making a mockery of him by rebuilding this wall? What are you doing here? I love Nehemiah's answer. Love it. And this is, he says, I answered them by saying, and we're going to talk about that in a second too, because this is the first time in this whole passage there's been an answer to a question. We're talking about that. But he answered them by saying, the God of heaven, Elohim again, Elohim Shamahim, the God of heaven will give us success. See, Nehemiah will not put down the pink dumbbell because he has big work to do. And when the mockers come, when the scoffers come and they make fun of him, they say, yeah, right, what are you going to do? You're going to rebuild the wall. Give me a break. And he says, the God of heaven will give me success in this. We, his servants, his slaves, will start rebuilding. Again, the same idea there, the two words, putting our hands to the work. You know what? You might make fun of us if you want to, but we're going to start and we're going to do something. And we're not going to sit on our butts anymore. And we're not going to feel sorry for ourselves anymore. Because the big G God has holy plans for this land. And brothers and sisters, I want you to hear today, in your life, you are the holy land. I often wonder about the heartbreak, heartache, pain, just Frustration? I don't know. I don't want to make God into my own image. But if my children don't even see their value, 
What a waste. What a waste. And when Nehemiah answers the scoffers and the mockers who say, yeah, right, you're holy. Yeah, you know the living God? Please, give me a break. You say, the Lord, the God of heaven, will give me success. And listen to what it says about the enemies. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or any historic right. And there's three clear things there he's saying. You have no portion in Jerusalem. Why are they so mad? I, I thought, man, these guys... You know, I'm always the underdog guy. And so if I see somebody that starts to get up off the mat in like the third round of cage fighting, I'm like, yeah, get up, man. They can't beat you. I love the underdog, you know. And here are these guys who the minute they see someone get off the mat, they're right away saying, you can't get up. Stay down. Stay down. You know why? I thought, why would they ask? What's their problem? They have no territory. They have no claim on this new land. They have no, the claim is this idea of memorial or records or remembrance. They have no place in the holy city of God. And they have no righteousness. They have no righteousness. They know, and we talk about this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the living God, the gospel of the God, Emmanuel, who was with us, is threatening to everything you have in your life. Jesus is a threat. Because God, it says, is no respecter of man. And whenever these guys, these three dudes, see these guys getting up off the ground, so convicted, so ready to start to work, they know that if these walls go up, they lose authority in your life. This is the way they respond. You ever got that drinking buddy that wants to quit drinking? Come on, man, don't quit drinking. It's you and me. I won't tell nobody. You can go to church. Sorry. That person that sins with you, that person that says it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Because there's something about it. When the walls go up, they start to realize that there's a holy place, and they're not in it. And this is Nehemiah's response, that God will give me success, but you will have no part in it. And I don't want to say for a minute that God don't have grace for those guys that are mocking outside the walls. Because more times than not, when God changed a life in the middle of, a, of an unholy place, when God raises someone up, all of a sudden, everyone around him who is unholy realizes they're unholy. And they start to ask questions like, why, why can't I be in Jerusalem? What about me? And that person come back out of Jerusalem and say, Guess what? You can come in. Places for you too. This is a story of Nehemiah. We're gonna we're gonna do something today, and uh, I I don't want to make any apologies. It's it's the weirdest. It's one of the weirdest things we do. We do a lot of weird things. We do something called communion together, and we share in the body and the and the. The blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk in front of this thing, Brett, so 